So, as you may remember at the beginning of this work, we're talking about the four-alarm lover. And although that's hot and that's exciting, there's a lot more to it than just that. So I want to talk to you now about choosing a mate for a lifelong relationship. Over the 22 years that I've been practicing, I've seen over and over again the traits that I think are important in order for people to be able to make a lifelong relationship. There are 12 of them, and they are not in any hierarchical order. And they are these. Choose someone as though you were blind. Close your eyes and see what you can feel of that person, of their kindness, their loyalty, their insight, their devotion, their ability to be concerned with you, their ability to care for themselves as an independent being. Although our culture bases a great deal on what we see with our outer eyes, what we see with our outer seeing, when we look at the object of our love, far more important is what we see with our eyes closed. The second one. If there's one thing that makes the difference between a lifelong lover and a flash in the pan, it's a person who has the ability to learn. There's a saying in Spanish, el ignorante es poco tolerante, and it means those who are without knowledge are often intolerant. Those who cannot learn new ways, see things in new lights, be able to be curious about the world and how things work, how people work, often close up and say, no, it has to be this way and this way only. And for a lifelong relationship, it's better to have someone who can open and perhaps close too, but open and close, open and close, gradually learning and evolving. Number three, choose someone who's willing to be like you, both strong and sensitive. You know, there's a quality that women have sometimes. It's a tough, fragile. Tough on the one side and very fragile on the other. Um, they can go to bat for their social action causes and they can fall apart um, over something that's seemingly small. That's not what I'm talking about. <laughs> I'm talking about strength and the kind of strength that a tree has, where great winds can whip it, but because it's flexible, even though substantial, it will move back and forth in that wind. It will not bend and break. And in terms of sensitive, I mean, the ability to see, to be alert to things around oneself. Now, some people may need a little help with this, but often, somewhere deep in their mind, or sometimes deep in their heart, they already are awake and alert to all these things. They have trouble articulating it. And that is why Number two is so important, the ability to learn. 
Because as you know, you can have all the potential in the world to be kind and loving and devoted and good and most excellent lover ever known to humankind. But if you cannot learn to develop the potential, then nada, nothing. Number four, choose someone who when you hurt them, they feel pain and they are willing to show it. And vice versa. Choose someone who when they hurt you, they see your pain and they feel sorry. This is very important. There are many ways that people portray pain. Some by climbing up. It's one of the things that tends to drive more extroverted people crazy is to have a maid who climbs up as soon as the chips are down. But it's an expression of pain. And as long as the person is willing to do something within a reasonable amount of time, say 24 hours or so, to communicate and is able to move gradually through that form of pain, then it will be all right. What is worrisome is when you do something that is unkind or unthinking to your mate and they show no reaction. It either means something is wrong with the feeling function in that person or that they have given up on you, that they will no longer allow themselves to be fully human in your presence. Because so many of us go through relationships, sometimes several, before we find the one that we want to spend the rest of our lives with. Because so many of us are uncertain about what that really even means because so many of us have been wounded by relationship after relationship that started with high hopes and somewhere along the line perhaps by a failure in the mechanics themselves between the two people fell flatter than a pancake. Because of all of that, it's likely that you will fall in love with someone who is not pristine, who is wounded in some way. So as a result, this ability on their part to show pain, and as important, their ability to perceive your pain and feel for you about it is very important. Because of the nature of relationship, there are times when we will pressure and pinch and, and even wound one another. And it can't be avoided entirely. But it should not be the same wounding over and over again. Surely people will learn from each time. But because you might say many have saved up so much anger at past lovers, their ability and even willingness to hurt their new lover or their mate may be overgrown. They should be able to stop when they see the pain in the other person's face. Number five, choose a person who has an inner life, be it woodworking or drawing or writing or religion or meditation or something that they love. Choose someone who's on their own journey and sees you as a partner, as a fellow traveler in that journey. That ability to be 
merged with one another, yet be entirely separate from one another, is very important. There are times, because this moves also in cycles and relationships, there are times to be merged as though one being, and there are other times to be very far apart from one another, but you might say the bond that's between you, almost like almost like a bond of flesh that grows out of the side of each person. It stretches and stretches. It can stretch for thousands of miles and even for months and months at a time, but it's never broken. That's the kind of relationship you want to have, not one where the stretching breaks the bond or there's never any merging and there's never any clear separation, but some of everything all in its own cycle. Number six, choose someone who has similar passions in life to your own. A relationship is for making memories together. It's like a savings account. You do things together. You take, you might say, psychic snapshots of them. You savor them later. They're the glue of the relationship, and you draw on these memories for pleasure's sake, and to tease each other, and to remember good times together, but also during hard times. If there is nothing that you really enjoy together, it would be very difficult to make these times with one another. And although relationships most certainly can be built on mutual support, of one another and each one's endeavors in the world that are quite different from one another. There also has to be something, something as simple as lying in the bathtub together, something as simple as drying your hair outside in the sunshine together, something like walking around the block every night together. Any of these things, most simple things. I know you're thinking, so okay if we just brush our teeth together in the morning? <laughs> Doesn't count quite. It has to be a little bit more than that. Number seven. Choose someone who has similar values about having children, about childbearing, about family members, about roots and roles for women and men and kinds of marriage and money and religion and so forth. As you can see, these are the ideal. Not everyone can meet all of them. Not all of the way, not all of the time, perhaps, and certainly not always at the beginning of a relationship, but you can see where the relationship is headed. Originally, I made this list because I have three grown daughters who are 22, 26, and 28 years old. And these were the guidelines that, when asked, I gave to them. And I feel that they are the ones that any person who loves another would sort of as a fairy godmother wish over their relationships. This choosing of similar values has to do with decreasing the friction in the relationship. And at the very least, if there are different values, these things should be worked out before there's a long-term commitment to the relationship. As much as we're interested in having the phenomenal flying sensation, you might say, of eroticism in our relationship, there must also be pragmatics. When the pragmatics are mostly taken care of, it's much more easy to soar. Number eight, choose someone who is compassionate. 
someone who is willing, who is able to listen, someone who gives equal time. In particular, if you are a driven person, by having a mate who is not quite so driven as you, eventually you will pick up some of their slower rhythm, which actually will be good for you. And by converse means, a mate who is a little laid back, and I'm not talking about a derelict now, I'm talking about a person who's slightly laid back. By being with a mate who is much more out there, they will be quickened in some ways, and there will be a harmony established, a rhythm that's established between the two. My feeling is that most people need to be married at least, or together, at least eight or nine years before they have the rhythm entirely worked out. It takes time. Building a miracle. Not a miracle because you stay together. A miracle because of the force at the center of relationship is the profound God of love. Number nine, choose someone who can laugh at themselves. I remember <laughs> one time I had bought a fiddle and I was going to take it up again and I had it sitting at the side of the bed and for some reason my mate and I had migrated into the bedroom in the midst of an argument and we were going at it, hammer and tongue, pretty good. I was giving as good as I was getting. and Hopefully it was going somewhere, but we'll never know, because in the midst of the whole thing, my mate grabbed up my fiddle, opened the case, drew out the violin, and began to play it, standing in the middle of the bed, jumping up and down. And of course he couldn't play, but he was playing it anyway. And I began to laugh, because he was trying to play one of those... to make fun of the argument that we were having. Well, it was so funny that finally we were down on the floor with each other, laughing and almost crying in each other's arms. And the value of not only having someone who can laugh, but you yourself, who can stop an argument on a dime by making a joke that's not cruel, but that laughs at yourself in the condition and the position that you're finding yourself in with your mate. That is very important. It's a real gift. Well, say you don't have a very jokey partner. Well, then look for someone who can learn, if they don't already know, how to stop an argument in mid-sentence. This takes practice, because there's something inside of us that wants to push us, drive the car right over the edge. I'm taking everybody with me in the middle of an argument. But it's a skill well worth waiting for in a person and if your lover doesn't have it, hopefully, back to number two, they have the ability to learn. And you too have to learn to stop in the middle of a sentence and mutter some sort of apology or stumble around and say, well, I'm just going to probably talk about this later when I've calmed down. You need to be able to do that yourself. So number ten. Being able to overlook certain faults and characteristics. I remember my abuelita telling me that the very things 
that would cause me to be attracted to my partner, the things that I would think were charming, cute, and desirable, would probably drive me to insanity later on, and she was right. In my first marriage, I thought that the way that he jingled his coins in his pocket of his pants were, oh, it was, I don't know, so charming. And after a couple of years, it wasn't charming anymore. It was almost like having a cow with a cowbell around his neck. I could hear him coming and going all the time. So know what you can live with. And don't be seduced by thinking that something that really is annoying to most other people is really cute because he or she is doing it and he or she is your lover. Chances are that if it's a dramatic thing, if it's a dramatic fault, you'll never be able to overlook it and it'll never be cute. For instance, I'll tell you just what I tell my daughters. There's several things that are intolerable in any relationship, whether it's a marriage, partnership, with business, and that is alcoholism, substance abuse, gambling, criminal activity, anything that takes the person away from their true soul life. A person who cannot tell the truth. A person who cannot give fealty. A person who cannot face you after they've made a mistake. And who tries to cover it over in a dramatic and large way instead. And this would be starting a relationship on swamp ground. So number 11 is that you be friends, not just lovers. And that's sort of a tired phrase. And you go, well, yeah, I know what that means. It means I like them, not only love them, and so on and so forth. But actually, it means more than that. And one way to judge it is, are you willing to do for your partner what you're willing to do for your girlfriend or for your guy friend? Are you willing to sit and listen? Are you willing to go over in minute detail the things that they would like to talk about or the things that they would like to do? And not that you have to cater to each other forever, because certainly, certainly you don't. But in some small ways, on a regular basis, yes, absolutely, you must. And so when you think of what you would do for your friends and weigh that against what you would do for your lover, then it will make things clear for you. And the last, and the most important, I think, and sort of the overreaching one of all of these 12, is make sure that when you choose, you're choosing someone who makes your life bigger rather than smaller. That will tell you all you need to know.